0: This morning we're going to come to the manual, we're going to come to the source, we're going to look at what the Bible has to say about arguably the most miraculous, sort of defining moment in all of human history, I believe. We're going to read from one of the Gospel accounts. Now if you don't know the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, they were four fellows who would walk with Jesus and spend time with him, and they wrote down what they saw. They wrote down their eyewitness accounts. there's like they almost autobiographies of what it was like being with Jesus. And we're going to read one of those this morning. But Before we do that, can you remember a time, maybe, when you've been waiting for news? I remember my first uh, interview after university. I had to wait a couple of days, but it felt like a couple of weeks to find out whether or not I'd got the job. I hadn't got it. I had to end up working for the church. So um, <laughs> and then left the church and went to teach. After that, it was obviously God closing the door for me and I started teaching. So it all worked out, but I didn't get it. And, but the wait was antagonizing. Maybe you've had to wait for exam results or some sort of result. You feel like sometimes you're waiting for ages. You just want to find out. Maybe you've been, you know, something from the doctors, you've been waiting to hear back. And, and the wait can be painful or maybe depending on what sort of individual you are, you've had to wait that painful two weeks from when the flash went on the speed camera to see if the tickets come through. <laughs> it's never been me, of course, but I'm sure there's many of you that are, you know, have known that two weeks wait when you... <sighs> yes, it did come through. So, oh, waiting for news can be tricky or maybe, in fact, you've had to be someone who gives news. I mean, you had to... News comes in two forms. Giving good news is great, isn't it? Giving bad news is is not always a nice thing. I remember when I was an English teacher there would be two bits of news that you could give to a parent. If you were to contact maybe a parent of a student, it would be good or it would be bad. You know, of course, my favourite to give was the bad news. Um, it was good. Because when you call a parent up with good news, you can almost hear their pride bursting through the phone. They're like this big smile. They're just elated to hear their child is doing well. My favourite parents to call were the kids. Of those, let's say, let's call them Herberts, you know, the students who weren't usually associated with good works or doing good things, but for whatever reason, they'd been working hard in your lesson. yeah. And So I would love to call those parents up, because the conversation would go a little bit like this. Say, um, hello, is that Mrs Smith? Uh, yes, speaking. Hello, Mrs Smith, it's Mr McNamara calling from uh, Johnny's school. I am his English teacher. I oh, know, what's he done now? <laughs> no, Mrs Smith, I'm actually ringing with... With some good news, he's been working really hard in his English. He's been, you know, he's been doing really well. Really? <laughs> you got the right Johnny? He's, you? Johnny Smith, your son, has been doing really well. It's almost like the news is too good to be true. They they can't almost believe it. and and It's funny because in this resurrection account, Mary and some of the other ladies, they take some news to the disciples which they think is too good to be true. They literally cannot believe the news they're being told. and You you kind of read it in this account. It was early doors on a Sunday morning. The Sabbath had gone. Now, the Sabbath was a Saturday. It was a day of rest, so people didn't do anything on a a Saturday. So, Good Friday had been and gone okay, the pain of it, the disciples, their leader, their Messiah, the person they'd been following almost daily for three years, the person they looked up to, the Saviour of the world, had been nailed to a bit of wood by the Romans, dragged down, shoved in a tomb, they put a big stone over it and put some guards in front of it. As you can imagine, how these people are feeling, thinking, oh, I didn't know that was part of the plan. And, what happened is, that, is the, they'd wrapped it in cloth, put it in a tomb, and so some of the ladies that had followed Jesus decided they were going to go with some spices to put on the body. Now, you would do that to, mainly to stop the, the body from smelling, and it was just a custom that they would do. And so we're going to read from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24, starting at verse 1, to, uh, to read about what it is that happened. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb taking the spices they had prepared. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna and Mary, the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But the words seemed like an idle tale. In another verse, he says, the words seem like nonsense. And they did not believe him. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stopping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by himself and he went home, marvelling at what had happened. This is God's word. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for the Bible. Thank you that it's not an old book, just irrelevant today, but it speaks truth and life to us even now. Uh, Lord, we pray for this Easter Sunday message. It's not just going to be a, a kind of regular, oh, yes, Easter Sunday, I know what the message would be about. But you would reveal yourself to us in a different way. That it would literally hit us, like, square between the eyes, what it is that it means that you've risen from the dead. And so we just pray that you will meet with us, Lord. Empower me by your Holy Spirit as we look at this account together. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. They thought the news was too good to be true. The disciples, they, they, they didn't believe it. Now, for a group of blokes who essentially started the global church, it started with these 11 men, the church that we're in today, that's where it started from. They started a global movement of churches. It's quite impressive. For a group of men who'd done that, I think they were pretty daft at uh, certain points. Because Jesus had told them this was going to happen. It was his plan all along. In, earlier on in Luke's gospel, at Luke 9... He recalls Jesus saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. This was the plan all along, and Jesus had told them time after time, I'm going to rise again. So, I mean, what were they all so surprised about? It's because it was literally just the most unbelievable thing to happen. They just could not get their head around it. And the women, they didn't expect it either. They wasn't walking to the tomb going, Ah, it's great. Remember, Jesus said he's going to rise again. We're going to see him. No, they were going mourning with spices to put on a body because they believed he was dead in the grave. They just couldn't understand. And just a quick side note on this. The fact that it was women who found the empty tomb, actually gives credibility to the story. Because some people have said, well, these folks that are writing the gospel accounts, of course they're going to say that Jesus was written, because that's the story, isn't it? If they were, they, maybe they were trying to lie and convince people it happened. Well, anybody knows that if you were trying to create a convincible, credible lie, in that culture, in that time, the testimony of women was not well regarded. People said, oh, women told you, no, we won't believe them. That's the way it was in that culture. If you were going to try and create a lie, if I was going to write a story to try and create, you wouldn't have women find the empty tomb. You'd have had men. And the only explanation for women that found the empty tomb is because that's what actually happened. They just write, under this is what happened. We're not, we're not trying to make it up we're, they could, oh maybe we'll change it to men. People might believe it more. No, they're just writing down what happened. And so it actually gives credibility to the story. And and in the text, I love Peter. I don't know, I don't know if anyone else loves Peter in the Bible, because he makes you feel really he makes you feel better about our rubbish I have at times. Because he just he makes so many mistakes. And Peter, these women literally burst in. Ah he's risen, he's not in the grave. And he just does a runner. He actually runs out of the building. He doesn't he just runs off. And he it, like, I've got to see it. He doesn't believe him. He runs straight to the tomb and says, it seemed like a fantasy to him. He just couldn't believe it. He had to go and see it for himself. And now maybe you're here this morning and you're in the same place as the disciples on this one. Maybe this whole idea just seems like a fantasy to you. Maybe it seems like nonsense. Maybe you're thinking, oh, that couldn't have happened. And this morning, it's a good question to ask, actually. And it's an important question to ask, because for me, the whole of Christianity hangs on this one question. You can ask me about the Bible, you can ask me about creation or dinosaurs, or whatever objections you've got, but did Jesus Christ rise from the dead? Because if he did, then surely that changes everything. If Jesus Christ did, then he was who he says he was, and it must change everything. And it's a good question to ask, because we know that death escapes nobody. I can actually remember my first experience of death. It was uh, my sister's pet hamster Rosie. Um, I can't have been much older than six or seven. Our cat Figaro um, killed it. He murdered it. Murdered our... I mean, Andrew gave us a warning about cats a couple of weeks ago. Our cat. We put her on. We put the cat on trial and everything. Thirty years. Got out for fifteen on good behaviour. And um, we had a funeral in the my sister. She made to have a funeral in the garden. <laughs> we put the hamster in a shoebox. My dad could dig a grave for it. We put it in the ground. Our neighbour, next door, kept poking his head over the fence, thinking, what on earth are you doing? You know, I think we might have even had some speeches or something. The whole thing was just bizarre when I look back. And what was funny is that a few years later, my dad done some gardening work, we digging things up. He, the hamster wasn't in the shoebox. Maybe it had risen. <laughs> Maybe it was the hamster messiah. Or maybe the fox is at it. You decide. Yeah? You decide. But I remember my first experience. You know, we'll never know. Maybe I'll see Rosie in heaven. I mean, If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then he was nothing but just a good bloke with a, moral, a good message. Just a man who'd done some good teachings. I mean, there's no dispute that he actually lived. That's regarded as fact. That there's a bloke called Jesus lived a couple of thousand years ago. But was he just a guy with a good moral message? Because if he didn't rise from the dead, that's all he was. Or worse, he was some sort of con artist. Maybe like an illusionist. Maybe like Houdini or someone who managed to just get out. He managed to escape. You know, if he was alive today, he'd belong on Britain's Got Talent or something, getting out of a box. You know that? Or maybe he was like John Darwin. I don't know if you remember the story of John Darwin in 2002 with a bloke who supposedly died in a canoeing accident down in uh, Hartlepool. He was, his canoe was found in pieces. They thought he'd drowned. And uh, it's funny because... Years later, I mean, they sold their house. His wife claimed his life insurance. She said she did it in good faith, but what we actually know, I mean, in 2006, this picture came out of John and his wife in Panama buying a house from an estate agent. He dropped the ball on that one. um, Because that went out. People back up, oh, ain't that John? And um, he'd been living. The whole thing, I mean, he went to the police station in 2007, handed himself in, and he tried to claim that he had amnesia. He couldn't remember anything from 2000. I mean, him and his wife both done six years in prison. The whole thing was a con. He'd been living in a little side room in his house. Then they sold it up. They moved to Panama. They didn't even tell their kids. No one speaks to him anymore. And they've been released from prison now. But the whole thing was a con. I mean, he didn't rise from the dead. He never died. You know, that's the whole point. But I mean, if Jesus... Maybe it's like that. I mean, if Jesus did rise from the dead, if it is true, then he has power over sin and death. It changes everything. I don't care who you are. It changes things for you. I remember this truth coming alive to me when I was about 15. We'd kind of been coming to church for a little bit as a family. We started to come here and it never, nothing really made sense to me. I just came because we did on a Sunday and I went to a youth festival you may have heard of called New Day. And it was there that I knew I had to make a decision. If this is true, then it changes everything. And it's going to change the way I live my life. It was like a black or white moment. But if it's not true, then I'm going to go home and I'll tell my mum I ain't come to church anymore and it's not true. And it was like a black or white moment. I was 15. And I just knew. Someone spoke about it and I just knew, no, this is definitely true. I was convinced. And I came back, I got baptised in a pool that was built in the ground somewhere where you used a lot to sit in. And, uh, and that was about 10 years ago, and I've, I've never looked back since. I was all in, and maybe that would be, be you. I mean, we could spend a whole morning... Right? We could spend the whole weekend, we could spend weeks looking at the history of the resurrection, the historicity. Did it actually happen? And I, I studied that while I was at university. I've, I kind of read loads of books on it. I don't want to spend the whole morning doing that, but I just want to chuck out five quick reasons for you, if you're in some serious doubt. There's five quick reasons that, for me, helped me be convinced that oh, this happened. And So the first reason is what we call the fulfillment of prophecy. Before Jesus was even born, hundreds of years, there was over 300 prophecies, predictions, if you like, about Jesus. How he would live his life, how he would die, where he would die, the manner in which it would be done. And every single one of those were fulfilled. Every single one of those happened the way that they were prophesied. Now, some people have said, oh, well, Jesus has lived his life to try and, you know... Fulfill those prophecies. The one that they always get caught up on is the fact that even the very place Jesus was born was prophesied. If you can introduce me to someone who managed to plan where they were born, I'd love to meet them. It's an impossibility. So that's the first thing. All of these, this salvation plan was all fulfilled in Jesus. The second thing is the empty tomb. To this day, the body of Jesus has never been found, the tomb remains empty. Now, where is the body? The most popular theory against it was given by the Roman soldiers. Because when they realised that Jesus went in the tomb, they thought, oh no, we're paying in trouble now. I'm not We'll tell them all. We'll tell them the disciples come and stole it. You have to ask yourself the motivation for the disciples to decide to themselves, what we're going to do is we're going to go and steal a dead body, and then we're going to tell the world that it's alive, and by doing that, we're going to be threatened and killed for it, but we'll keep telling everyone that this body's alive, and then we'll be killed. I don't know what your motivation would be to die for a lie like that. I I certainly don't think I would be doing it. And of course, anyone anyone who knows anything about the Roman soldiers knows that they were some of the most trained, best soldiers that have ever walked the earth. So the idea of how did these kind of 11 fishermen and tax collectors outwit the Roman guard? Will they go and kill them? Or Apparently the, Romans, the Roman soldiers said we were sleeping. What well, anyone knows anything about Roman guards is they have four watches for a night. So they do a rotation, they're on shift. A few hours, a few hours, a few hours, a few hours. So we know that the Roman guards certainly weren't sleeping for disciples to come and move a big rock away and then nick a body and run off while they were snoring. So I think that's a nonsense. That's the empty tomb. Third one, appearance to his disciples. He appeared to the disciples. He had a, he had a barbecue from them on the beach. They touched his hands. They put their hands through the holes in his, in, in his hands and in his feet. He met them and he appeared to over 500 people. And there's lots of people that have written down, I saw the risen Christ at that time. So we've got the appearance to the disciples. The fourth one is the changed life of his followers. If you know anything about the, the story of the disciples, they followed Jesus, right? And they loved him. And, 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 and they were like, we're going to do everything for you. We'll go to the end of the earth for you. And, and then he gets arrested. And Jesus basically told them before that, listen, you're going to tell Peter. He's almost like his best disciple. You're going to deny me three times. But no, I will never deny you, Jesus. I will die for you. I'll <laughs> wait and see. When Jesus is arrested, three times, people come up to him. Hold on. When you of Jesus followers, one of them was a child. But he, no, 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 not me, not me. I didn't know Jesus. He was a coward. The disciples—they they were hiding away while Jesus was on trial. They were cowards. So they were covering themselves. They were in this house when he was being buried. They were cowards. But after they'd seen the resurrected Jesus, they were prepared to die, and many of them did die for the message. What well, explains that change in behaviour? That scene there is in Jesus. Many of them would go to places and they would be stoned and beaten. And the, kind of the leaders in the area would go, you must stop teaching about this. Or we'll put you in prison, we'll even kill you. They'd say, we cannot help but talk about the things we've seen and heard. The change in the disciples. And in fact, there's a professor at Harvard, a professor of law called Simon Greenleaf, who says this. It was impossible... That they could have persisted in affirming the truths they have narrated. Had not Jesus actually risen from the dead? And they had not known this fact as certainty as they knew any other facts. So the change of disciples. And the last reason is the testimony of the church. The church has been going for 2,000 years. It's one of the fastest growing things you've ever seen. In fact, the church for decades, the people they met on a Saturday, that was the Sabbath. But the fact that we even meet on Sundays is because we remember that the risen Jesus came. So they stopped meeting on Saturdays, they started meeting on Sundays. That became the Sabbath to remember Christ Jesus. And um, Michael Green, who's quite a famous author, says this about the church. He says, the church, beginning from a handful of uneducated fishermen and tax gatherers, swept across the whole known world in the next 300 years. It is a perfectly amazing story of a peaceful revolution that has no parallel. In the history of the world, it came about because Christians were able to say to inquirers, Jesus did not only die for you, he is alive. You can meet him and discover for yourself the reality we're talking about. And they did, and they joined the church, and the church born that Easter grave, spread everywhere, and is what we're in even today. The testimony of the church. Now, you may still have questions. I'm still not sure. I'm still not convinced. Listen, I'd love to point you to the Alpha course that I mentioned in in the notices. It's a great course if you come and explore these questions in a little bit more depth, and other questions about Christianity as well. You think, oh, what about this? What about this? This is a great course over those nine weeks. And if you're searching, if you're thinking, oh, kind of wrestling with this if that's where you're at on your journey then please do go and it's a great nine works you know in terms of nine weeks you know what have you got to lose is what I'd say to you you know what have you got to lose nine weeks investigating that not much because that's not the question I want to focus on for the next ten minutes or so probably less than that the question I want to focus on isn't well did he Did he actually rise because I am convinced he did it I don't even need to answer that I'm like no I know he did the question I want to ask is why did he have to die you know Jesus was known for not sinning. Jesus didn't sin. Okay, you've probably heard that before. He never sinned. He didn't. You know he spent a lot of time with females. He never lusted after him. He, he he never tried to abuse his power on his disciples. He never tried to collect money to make himself rich. He never did any of that. He was always honouring to his parents. He was he was you know he he obeyed all the rules. But he was far more than that. We shouldn't look to Jesus as like oh Jesus was the ultimate rule keeper. That's not what he was about. He was so much more. He was full of life and purity and integrity. He was righteous. He brought life and healing and peace wherever he went. If you read these gospel accounts, they just tell you of Jesus going from place to place to place, healing and teaching and doing all these just miraculous things. He opened blind eyes. He made lepers clean. He, he, he let the lame walk. He brought dignity to people that were overlooked. Think of Zacchaeus up on the tree. Everyone overlooked him. No, he brought dignity to that man. He invited him around. He said, no, I want to come and eat with you. He, he brought dignity to the, to the prostitutes that people didn't want to know. He told them what they were doing was wrong, but he did it with love and with integrity and with peace. He looked after people. He fed five thousand men up a mountain. He walked on the water. He calmed the sea storm when there was. He said, "No, listen, waves stop," and they did. He I mean he went from place to place. There was something so amazing and wonderful about Jesus. Everywhere he went, people wanted a bit of Jesus. They would burst through crowds to touch him. They would plead for him, "Come here, come there." He was a phenomenon that swept across this area. People loved him, and so why did he have to die? It's for our sins. Not his. All the things we've done, thought of, dreamt of, said, things that we will do, the things that are against God, against himself, he became sin. He didn't become a sinner. He became sin. In Romans 3 it says, the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. Our sin, our mess. He took it on himself. That's why he died. The Bible's clear. If you confess your sin, oh God, I've lived a life that hasn't been pleasing to you. I've been doing my own thing. I've offended you. I confess it. I give it to you. He says he will, you will find forgiveness and grace and mercy. I shared this verse on Friday. Good Friday. 2 Corinthians 5. For God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us. So that we may know the righteousness of God. I mean, even beyond that, Jesus isn't just this, the whole idea is I'm going to come to Jesus to get a ticket to heaven. It's not, oh, that's right, I know Jesus, I'm on the guest list. So when I get there, he'll tick me off, and say, oh yeah, you're in. He doesn't just get us into heaven, he gives us his righteousness. So even as we walk this earth, we walk with his righteousness. We can do the things that he done. Up, down, and way. There's not many lepers up that way, but we can do the things that He done. He's given us. it says, that "We sang a song that the same power that raised Him from the dead lives in us, so even while we're here on this earth." I mean, that's why He had to die. I understand that He had to die for our mess and our rubbish. There's not a person in this room who hasn't sinned or done wrong. Not a person here. Not me. Not you. Not anyone. And they won't continue to do that until the day we die. So he says, no, no, what I've done is i died for that. I'll take your mess and you get my righteousness. You can stand before God clean and holy before him. And it's a free gift, completely free. All you have to do is believe. Believe in me, have faith in me, and that's it. You haven't got to scrub yourself up and get yourself ready. You've not got to stop doing that. No, 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 just just believe in me. I'll sort the rest out. I mean, back to the news that they had to deliver, the, the, the ladies that had to deliver the disciples to the eleven. There was twelve, but Judas the betrayer had, had made himself scarce. He was ashamed of what he'd done, and he ends up going to kill himself. I love the, the, I love the angels. The reason I love the angels two reasons. One, because in the passage it says... I think it reads like something out of an advert. While they were perplexed about this, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. They want to get that on a washing, you know, like a dazz advert or something, didn't they? You know, dazzling apparel. Second thing I love It's the question they say to them. Why are you seeking the living among the dead? Have you ever felt like an idiot? I bet the ladies felt like an idiot at that time. <laughs> why, are we, why are you looking for the living among the dead in a grave? He has risen. And so, they obviously go to take that news. I mean... Satan conspired with Judas, with Pilate, with the Romans to kill the author of life. To kill Jesus, but he had too much life in him. God raised him from the dead. He could not be held by it. And if you believe in him, death cannot hold you either. Jesus said this in John's Gospel. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die yet, Shall he live? I'll read that again. Jesus said, "I am the resurrection and the life. It's me. I've risen. If you believe in me, whoever believes in me, though you die, though he die, yet shall he live. He is risen. He didn't just die. That wouldn't be good news at all. If we stopped on Good Friday, oh great, Jesus died. What does that mean? It's not good news." He died, and that's it. If that's the end of the story, let's all go home glum and gloomy. Ah, we had a good run, could crack it, three years, but, you know, close but no cigar. No, that's not the end of the story. He had to rise. You know, you might be here this morning thinking, you know, if, you, if you think your sin is too much for Jesus, he would still be in the grave. Don't get hung up on your sin. He isn't. Your sin Doesn't have more power than the resurrection. Your stuff, your baggage, doesn't have more power than the resurrection. He paid in full. You don't owe. He's paid it in full. He's alive and he paid it all. Jesus, listen, if Jesus defeated death, what can stop him from sorting you out? (laughs) If Jesus defeated death, what can stop him from. Oh, no, you don't know my mess. No, it's it's a minor thing to him. No, I defeated death. I can sort that out. Let's bring it here. We've we'll touched that to one side. It's been dealt with already. You know, we are raised with him. Andrew Wilson, our teaching pastor at King's, shared a little while ago an analogy that just stuck with me because every time now, anyone a fan of seeing, watching storms, thunder and lightning, just me, I'm the only weirdo here then. Uh, listen, I find it fascinating when you watch... Fun, you know, lightning and thunder is remarkable and he gave this analogy that every time you see it I want you to think of this moment because when you see lightning come and you strike down you see it's fascinating you know what's coming next you know the thunder will come you, you don't know how long sometimes it comes straight away sometimes there's a break you wait, wait, wait when you hear the thunder and you, you know, the dog starts barking and the babies are crying and I, I think it's great Jesus rising from the dead is like the lightning striking. It's happened. So we are sure of what is to come next. We are sure that our resurrection will come. In the way that when you see lightning, you know the fun is going to come. Because Jesus was raised, we know we too will be raised with him. We will have eternal life. And that's the message of Easter. It's not about... Chocolates or bunnies or hot cross buns or, or bank holidays. It's about Jesus, the sinless saviour, the hope giver, the freedom bringer, the strength to the weak, the centre of the world. Yeah. Jesus pointed to himself. He said, it is all about me. I am the way to the Father. It is all about me. The only way is through my death and resurrection. I mean, Herod, Pontius Pilate, the Jews, the Romans, they couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him the grave couldn't hold him because he has risen now I want to finish by saying this I want to finish by saying to you that I think that the resurrection of Jesus demands a response the resurrection of Jesus demands and I want to ask you what is your response maybe like the disciples their initial reaction You think it's, maybe it's a fantasy, no, I don't believe it. Okay, that's fine. That's where you are on your journey, fine. But I would ask you to keep exploring, because if this is true, it has life-changing ramifications. It changes everything. So if you are there where the disciples were, fine. But continue to explore that. And know this, that when you do decide, actually, this is, I can see this is true, as you come, actually, God says, you know, when we come to Him, His arms are open wide. Because maybe your response is going to be this, no, I've heard it, I've been living my own way, I've been doing my own thing, I've been walking down this path, but I know today I want to commit to follow Jesus. I've never done it before, but I know today I want to follow him. Today I want to say, no, God, the way I've I've been living has been offensive to you, wrong to you, I repent of that and I want to choose to follow Jesus. I want to choose that my life will change direction. And if that's you, then the Bible says there is an open invitation to you, that there is grace and mercy. He doesn't say, all right, we'll just sort out these things first. That says come as an invitation. Maybe that will be you. And if that is you, in a moment we're going to just sing and respond. I would love you to make yourself known to either myself or or, or someone else in the church. Because we would love to support you and pray with you and, and kind of just help you on that journey. If that's the step that you want to take. Maybe you've taken that step before years ago. But for whatever reason... You've just come off the, you know, you're on the beaten track. You've kind of come away from it. You've been, you've been dragged away from God. You've kind of been doing your own thing. And you know today you need to recommit your life again to follow Jesus. You know today you need to say, no, God, I want to come back again today to follow you. I want to say, no, God, I, I, I've known you, but I've kind of just been doing my own thing. And God, I want to put that to one side and again say, you know what? My life belongs to you. You died and rose again for me. So I want to give my life to follow you. Maybe that's where you're at this morning. It's the third one. Or maybe the fourth one, which I think often gets forgotten. Maybe you're a believer here. You've been a believer for 5, 10, 15, 20, 30, 40, 50 years. I don't know. Your whole life. And sometimes you get bored of the Easter message. You think, oh, I've heard the Easter message before. He's risen. Great. And God wants to shake you up again this morning. That, you may, that he may reveal to you in a fresh way again what this means for you. That you, a wretched sinner, have been saved by the grace of God. And that actually your response will be to come again to the altar and just worship him and give him praise and thanks that you would know him, that he would die for you. And so I'm going to ask um, Alex and the band to come up uh, just now as as we sing a song. And, And as we sing these two songs, the lyrics in the song, they're quite profound, I think. It's an invitational song. It says, Come to the altar, the Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness is found with Jesus. God's arms are open wide to you this morning. You can find forgiveness and mercy at the cross. You can bring your worries and your doubts and your fears. You can just bring it all to him. And you go, I've dealt with it. It's like I said, if he rose from the grave, he can sort you out. And so why don't we, in fact, stand together? I'm going to pray, and then Alex will... Lead us together. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful that you would not spare your own son. Your own son would come and live amongst us. Perfect, sinless, just so much life and purity that he went to the cross. Not only did he go there, he didn't stay there, God, but that he rose again and that you have power over sin and death and God, I pray for each of us now as we respond in our own individual way to you. You know where each of us are out on our journey. I pray, God, that you would just reveal more of yourself to us. That our response would be just to worship you and lift up your name. For those that don't know you here, Lord, I pray, will you reveal yourself to them? Let them make that step to follow Jesus. We pray all of those things in the name of our risen Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen.